0: Hi friends, this is Minor Issues and I'm Lily Halloran. This week I'm bringing you an interview I did back in March with my friend Audrey about America's criminal justice system. This was before millions of people started protesting against systemic racism, and the interview was extremely important, but in the light of today it has even more relevance. We see that America's criminal justice system is the foundation for racism in America, it allows police to kill innocent people, permits modern slavery, and lets certain people off easy while brutalizing others. Near the end, Audrey shares some really helpful information on how teenagers can get involved and what to do if you get stopped by a police officer. So, I encourage everyone to stick around. Just a heads up, we did this interview during study hall with other students, so the audio quality may not be the best and there's some background noise, but this episode is worth your while. Prejudice, the okay, healthcare crisis. debate, college police brutality, pollution, like, was... mass incarceration, incarceration. climate. This is minor issues. Audrey interned at the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, in Missouri this year, processing complaints and concerns, many of which came from inmates or their families. Through this experience, she gained a close understanding of what life is like in prison or jail, and she tells us a little more about that.
1: A lot of times it's kind of heartbreaking because it's either people have gotten out of prison or jail and are talking about the issues that they experience that are sticking with them sometimes many years later or their family members who have in meetings or over the phone heard the horrible things that are happening to people within the prison system, or potentially, you know, I haven't heard from my husband, my brother, my sister, my wife in six months. I don't know where they are. The jail won't tell me. And so I kind of get different sides of the story. And then as far as paper mail, about 70% of that actually comes from people who are incarcerated. Those are really interesting because those are a lot of times just really long letters about everything that's happening instead of the form that they would usually fill out online. So I think you really get a lot more humanity from reading those. And it really humanizes every single person within the prison system a little bit more.
0: If you are accused of a crime, according to the Constitution, you have the right to an attorney for your trial. But so many of the people who are arrested can't pay for that. So they end up either having to pay bail or get a public defender, a lawyer who represents people who can't pay, which can be next to impossible to do. Can you speak to this at all?
1: A lot of times people go to jail, they are accused of a crime, but when you're in jail, for the most part, you haven't fa- been found innocent or guilty, you haven't gotten a trial. And in order for you to get a trial, you have to have a public defender if you qualify for one. You can represent yourself, but that's a really good way to lose. Um, so especially if you don't have the resources to hire a private lawyer, which most people don't then you're sitting there for months and months and months. There's about 500 public defenders in the state of Missouri, and there's about 500 people incarcerated in just St. Louis County Jail. So they have these massive caseloads. People are incarcerated sometimes for years, and they're innocent, and they haven't even seen a trial. They have no idea what to do. They're just waiting, no resources. And, I mean, bail a lot of times is... $50,000 $50,000 for even really petty crimes. To get a public defender, at least in the state of Missouri, you can't own property. You can't make above a salary above the poverty level. If you're a mother of three kids making $30,000 a year, you're above the poverty line, but you in no way can pay for a private attorney that's going to cost thousands of dollars. You know, So the fact that you are expected to give up any property, even just owning a home can completely screw you over and make it you to the point where you have to defend yourself or go completely bankrupt and hurt your entire family in the process of getting an accusation overturned that shouldn't have been there in the first place or that shouldn't land you behind bars, that completely disenfranchises people. Any resources that they once had, just getting accused of a crime completely eliminate those.
0: What are some of the other issues with America's criminal justice system that you worked on?
1: Obviously there's certain demographics that are targeted as far as being incarcerated in the first place. Black individuals are so much more likely to get accused of a crime or even be put behind bars for a low level offense. Um, there's also the issue of conditions within these jails. You know, are they getting access to medical care with coronavirus happening? Are they getting access to those tests? What's can happen? They're not working, they're losing their families, their lives are being destroyed. But then you also see on just civil rights outside of prisons, just the little things like abuse by police officers in small towns or, you know, I don't have access to internet. So it took me six months for me to figure out how to report this to you. I didn't know the address, you know, stuff like that. But this is happening in my town. People are being hurt by that. I think it really puts in perspective that no matter where you live, what situation you're in, there's always going to be things that can be improved. And I'm kind of getting a more holistic view of the justice system, particularly. People end up completely disenfranchised when they're incarcerated When you're sitting in jail and you don't you didn't have money to begin with. A lot of indigent people who are homeless, people end up in jail. If you don't have a family system, a support network, then you have absolutely no voice. You know, so even figuring out maybe I should call an organization like the Innocence Project like these or even knowing that requires a level of privilege to be exposed to those type of avenues.
0: How can we bring attention to and resolve these problems?
1: I think really turning our focus towards the people who don't have a voice to begin with and taking our collective action and focusing on them is the most important thing to do. No one's getting together and rallying for people who are incarcerated. No one's getting together and rallying for the drug addict who is facing years and years in prison for a nonviolent offense. So I think, yeah, I think it's happening because people don't have a voice. And the way to move forward is to give these people A voice or to use your own voice to advocate. It's complicated and there are many different things in the constitution put in place to protect people who have been accused of a crime and how many things are not being followed. Ignoring those things, we're seeing a violation of justice, but politicians are creating that. They're creating a cycle in which that is allowed. You see sheriffs having complete autonomy over the justice system. You're seeing people completely left without any avenues because they're just sitting waiting for a public defender we need to focus our policies on the root of the issue and have these tough conversations even though we don't want to talk about should should a mass murderer get the death penalty we don't want to talk about those things because people want to focus on people who are outside who aren't behind bars it's difficult to defend someone who's committed a crime when you preach against crime but those people have rights too
0: when we come back from break how prison takes a toll on your mental health when politics affects the system and, of course, how teenagers can get involved, with some helpful information on what to do if you get stopped by a police officer, stay with us. Thanks for staying with us. Just to note, any revenue I may get from ads in the next few months will go directly to charitable organizations dedicated to ending racial injustices. Now back to the programming. There is one instance of the injustices of the system that really sticks with me. It's the case of Khalif Browder, a 16-year-old who was arrested for supposedly stealing a backpack, which he insisted he never did. His family was not allowed to post bail, so he ended up in jail for three years, awaiting trial, two of which were in solitary confinement. When he was released, he was so devastated by his experience that he eventually committed suicide. For me, that's the most heartbreaking, and I think it really speaks to the effects of the system on the inmates' mental health. So, what do you think about this?
1: If you're in jail or prison for a crime you didn't commit or even if you're in jail for a crime you did commit the toll that takes alone the feeling of no one advocating for you of the system doing the opposite of what maybe you've believed all your life that it's supposed to that takes a toll but then getting out from behind bars and realizing now you don't have any resources you spent all of your money on even just making phone calls to loved ones i think that can be heartbreaking but solitary confinement is an issue that I see a lot of just kind of reading complaints. You know, I haven't heard from so-and-so for months. I don't know what to do. Because a prison or jail can put you in solitary simply because they put you in solitary. There's a lot of times not really a reason for it. If your case is really public, we saw this with the Central Park Five, Oprah kind of coined the term calling them the exonerated five. Um, We see with them just having a very public case can put you behind bars, having a case that being convicted of a crime that people see is especially horrendous, gets you in solitary confinement, but even pissing off a guard. And it's so frustrating because all of those issues are handled within the jails or prisons. They're handled internally. If they get a citation for fighting inside the jail, you can't see that. So being stuck in there, no one knows why you're in there. No one has any contact with you. And the conditions are pretty universally deplorable. I think that that would have just a terrible impact on your mental health. I watched Oprah's interview with the Exonerated Five, and you saw... One of the gentlemen who had just been through that experience of sitting in prison for years for a crime he didn't commit just completely break down on national television, because that sticks with you forever. You can't shake that. You can't shake being in prison with being in jail with no resources for years. Our system is failing people. It's failing people really hard.
0: How do you think politics in America affects and influences the criminal justice system?
1: As far as presidents go, there are some national policies that have been questionable, but a lot of criminal justice is just the state. So when the prosecutor knows the judge, knows the sheriff, knows the arresting police officer, when all of those people are interconnected, if you decide someone committed a crime, whether or not they actually did, it's extraordinarily easy to find them guilty. When the whole jury, when the whole town knows that person, that's it. So I think starting with valuing a human life, no matter what that human life did, you know, acknowledging the humanity of people is the first step. And then going deeper into that and seeing this is what the Constitution guarantees. These are what individual state constitutions guarantee. What can we do to make sure that we are upholding the Constitution? And I think that should be a bipartisan issue and it shouldn't be something divisive. I really, truly believe all politics aside that that is common sense. In order to solve this issue, we can't just rely on presidential candidates. It's paying attention to who your aldermen are. It's paying attention to who the mayor is. Most adults that you talk to will say that they have not voted in an election for sheriff ever, or if they did, they voted along party lines. Those elections, your DA, those people are the elections we really need to pay attention to, especially on these issues. We saw Kamala Harris. Her candidacy was pulled down by her record. You paid attention to Kamala, but this is happening in your own town. You know, there are people sitting in prison who probably shouldn't be. So I really feel like voting in local elections is the best way to solve the problem. But obviously, the presidential election is extremely important and has the ability to sway the policy of states. So it's a balance there.
0: How can teenagers get involved?
1: Young people have to get out and vote, but they also have to get out and educate themselves. Knowing that the ACLU filed a lawsuit isn't something your average young person knows, but it has the ability to affect their future and affect the future of people who they interact with on a daily basis. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons to get out to vote. And I really feel like as a whole, young people have gotten more attuned to that, but just Paying attention, reading not just the headlines, but doing your own research and figuring out what are my rights and what can I do to move forward and help other people is really the most important thing. And that burden does partially fall on schools, but it really falls on the individual. Seeking out the opportunities to really get involved and be on the front lines in that fight is really important. Showing up, showing out, doing everything that you can to really get yourself involved is super important. And those opportunities aren't super hard to come by. You're passionate about about an issue making phone calls and sending emails, even just calling your state representative. I mean, like, you should support this. Please do this. And if enough people start calling, then that builds up. So just taking the little actions and not underestimating your own power. Young people are driving policy all over the world. Young people are showing up to state legislative hearings and testifying and saying, this is what I believe and this is why it is. And I think that's so powerful and it's not a difficult thing to do. One thing that I really wanted to mention as far as young people go is that the ACLU just put out this app about interactions with police officers. A lot of young people are really worried about the police and what's going to happen if I get pulled over, especially people of color. And there's, there's knowing your rights, but a police officer can decide not to follow your rights, no matter what your education level is. So you can educate yourself on your rights. You can know that they have to read me my brand of rights. They cannot search my car. If I don't give them permission, they can come back with a warrant. If it's really that deep, um, they can't arrest you without a warrant. Knowing those things are important, but there's this app that basically allows you to record those interactions. And if there's something happening there that you believe is a violation, you can submit it directly to the ACLU national office so they can track all those things. So if there's a problem in a specific state, town, whatever, that's being monitored consistently. So I really think young people utilizing tools like that and finding more and creating more to help everyone have the same access that's kind of an equalizing tool, it's not perfect, but... It allows some enfranchisement to happen.
0: The app is called Mobile Justice, and it helps you send incident reports and videos to the ACLU, witness events, and educate you on your rights. I encourage everyone to download it because I think it can be a very useful tool. I've added a link to the ACLU's webpage on this app in this episode's description. Audrey, who interned at the ACLU and worked on a lot of these issues, just graduated high school. She's interested in going into constitutional law and will become a Navy linguist this summer. Thanks for tuning into Minor Issues. This episode was edited and hosted by me, Lily Halloran, with help from Eunice Bekarov. Thanks to Audrey for being the first person ever to support this podcast and sit down for an interview with me, I'm so thankful. To learn more about Minor Issues, go follow us on Instagram at Minor Issues Podcast or visit our website, minorissues.carrd.co. If you listen to the end, that probably means you support this podcast, so go give us a five-star review and thanks for listening. Please send me your feedback and thoughts on Instagram and I'll give you a shout out. Next episode, could there be a bright side to the pandemic? We'll debrief how the virus has impacted our environment and also talk about all the animals. This week's fun fact about me, I think ice cream is the best breakfast, lunch, and dinner. See you next week.